All right, we have been in our series continuing of engaging culture, and we have looked at, uh, from everything just from atheism, um, we've looked at, most recently, uh, various religions, world religions, um, of course we looked at Judaism, but, but also um, we've looked at Islam, and then we've looked at some of what will be termed cults, those who um, have come from a Christian background. They start with the Bible, but then they change it somehow. And so we've looked at this, and uh, we, we've known that we have to engage. And part of the series, the reason why we're doing it, is so that we are able to engage more intelligently, not to shy away from opportunities to share uh, the gospel and who Jesus is with those who may have been taught uh, by in some cases, a false prophet of who, um, who they think Jesus is. And so we're going to do an overview this evening of cults, overview of cults. Um, it's interesting because uh, what we've seen already in Jehovah's Witness could be classified as a cult because they start with, a, with a, the basis of Scripture. And so I think we first all ought to identify and define. Um, Walter Martin, and I've got his... Um, his, uh, actually, Ravi Zacharias did a, uh, an ed- editing of Martin's book, Kingdom of Cults. And so up through 2003, I think when Ravi did this, um, there's enough in it already, but there's more. But uh, Walter Martin said, as a group of people gathered about a, p- a specific person's interpretation of the Bible. So notice that clause first, a someone's specific interpretation of the Bible. From a theological viewpoint, the cults contain not only a few major deviations from historic Christianity. They paradoxically continue to insist that they are entitled to be classified as Christians. And so some of these we'll talk about tonight, or some of the, the, uh, the themes and thoughts, there are going to be people who say, no, we are Christians. And so they would define it. He also says in another publication, Martin says, a group of religious in nature, a group of religious in nature which surrounds a leader or a group which either denies or misinterprets essential Bible doctrines. And, and in his book, um, he said there is a... And it's interesting, there's always a one person, generally one person, and then a misinterpretation of the Bible. Uh, so someone, you'll see, someone who has a, a different definition of what or who Jesus should be. So... Tonight, if you want to take notes, it's great. Um, if not, listen and uh, hopefully soak it all in. We're going to look at the characteristics of cults. What makes them a cult? What can you see? What can you warn people about? And how can you help um, with what God's doing here to, to give the gospel? So, as Walter Martin said, a cult starts with a dynamic leader, dynamic leader with new teaching. This one has a new theology or a new doctrine. And there's usually a claim of revelation of some sort. Some sort of revelation has happened to this person. Of course, it's, um, we don't know uh, exactly what causes this, but often it's angels. Often, or a dream, something happens that this person says they've received a vision or an angel from God. This person is often very charismatic in the sense of very, they attract people. They have a great personality. They're very commanding with what they're saying. But the, the cult leader 
always says that he or she has a specific and personal revelation from God. And it's usually a claim to deity, either Jesus visited him or an angel or a special messenger. And so this cult leader with this new teaching has been appointed, has been appointed to lead people. So a new theology, a domineering leadership. Okay? So once you get into this, the dominating, domineering leadership really comes very strong into this. So it's not just I've received something, but I've received it, so you have to listen to me, and you have to follow this. Uh, it starts small, but generally uh, they can attract people based on their leadership ability. Often these are very good leaders. They're very attractional in nature. Uh, but, but you'll see soon there's a domineering leadership. But notice they claim to be uh, soon, if not at the beginning or soon thereafter, they claim to be the only true teaching. Remember we studied uh, with the LDS Church, the Mormons? Joseph Smith said that the angel Moroni told him to give this true gospel now, this uh, reconstruction or, fi- or fixing of the, the gospel. And so he came to do that. So there's often a claim with this new teaching with a dynamic leader, there's a domination, domineering, a new theology, and it's the only true teaching. I think of the dreams of, of others. Ella, Ellen G. White said God told her a message, and she started the Seventh-day Adventist church. Mary, Mary Baker Eddy, whatever else she married um, after that, said uh, God sent her a message, and she started the Christian Science Church. Sung Young, Myung Moon said that God had told him the message, and he started the Unification Church. Witness leader Watchman Nee said God told him a message, and he started the local church there, the house church movement there. But they replaced orthodoxy with an unverifiable system. Um, oh, which is the one, the space hail bop? There's a comet over there, there's a spaceship. Maybe that's, um, is that Farrakhan? I'm not sure. But there's always something like this God or an angel, an alien. And so they co-opt Jesus and piggyback on the story of Jesus or Bible to create a new religion, what we call a cult, because they're, they start with Scripture and twist and turn until they have something new, something that is not Scripture at all. So, first of all, uh, the characteristics of dynamic, dynamic leader and new teaching, new theology. And generally, this new teaching will... Deify man, okay, makes, rises, humanize God, brings him down to our level, minimize the Bible, and provide a different way of salvation. And those are the four things that you can start to tell as you look. This new teaching will deify man, minimize God, or humanize God, minimize the Bible, and proclaim a new way of salvation or an additive to salvation. What is another characteristic? Well, the new teaching... Oh, look, look, I had this for you. Here on the... uh, If you wanted to write that down. I'm getting ahead of myself. The next thing is control. Characteristic, a mark of a cult is control. So with this new teaching, with this dynamic leader, there will begin to evidence a very strong leadership to the point of controlling those that are there. How do you control people that willingly give themselves? How do you do this? Well, there are definite techniques. Um, They will isolate. 
to facilitate the control over members physically and intellectually, financially, emotionally, they will isolate them from others. So you might be isolated from your family. They're wrong. They're in uh, they're apostate. So you come with us, be with us, and let's isolate you from all your friends. Now you can start to draw uh, and look at, and draw the contrast between the true gospel and a cult. Isolation. They want and they will take your stuff. Okay? So it's interesting. Um, they, you know, it's asset acquirement. Um, they often require a rigid tithing or property transfer to the religious system. It's not only greed, though. If you don't have money, you can't leave. It's hard to survive on the outside without them. So this part of control is to, to, to encourage you, if you're going to be a good cultic member, you will give all your goods to the, the organization. And you see that funded. You know, how do these people get their, their money? Well, it's part of this control to pull people in. They want your stuff and they will take your stuff or guilt you until you give it. Indoctrination. They use control and they indoctrinate people. They use methods to reinforce the cult's beliefs and standards where opposing views are ridiculed and often misrepresented. So you may say, well, they'll misrepresent the truth of the Bible to ridicule into you into, no, I can't believe the Bible. It must be this man's way, this woman's way. And so by indoctrination, they control members' actions and thinking through indoctrination or threats of loss of salvation. If and they'll indoctrinate, if you don't follow this, you'll, you'll be eternally damned because you have not followed us. You disbelieve my teaching. And so they use that quite often, this indoctrination. Um, they often use deprivation to control, either deprivation of sleep or food. And some of the, the more, um, I guess, horrifying uh, cases. But it's used to weaken the will or to resolve the will of the follower, the deprivation depriving them of things that they need so that leader is the only one who gives. And so there again, it's that tying to this leader that he is the one who gives all good things. So deprive, reward, it's that control, uh, controlling nature. And then there's this of submission, um, where they submit and they change the terms so that submission is to submitting to them. Not to God's word or not to uh, the Bible, what God has said from his word, but submission is always to the organization and to the leader. Uh, you'll see changes of terms, a lot of different things. Uh, um, they use salvation from the judgment of God. Um, that is given, hung out as a, as a carrot to the one who maintains submission to the group. So if you submit, then you have salvation. That's how they change the terms of this. Uh, they use shunning. So those who do not keep in step with group policies are shunned or expelled. This is how they control. Um, you didn't behave as they wished you to behave. And so you are ostracized from the group for a time and then brought back in. Or if you leave, then you're excommunicated or anathema to them. Shunning. Um, and control, they continue with the control by appearance standards. We all have to look the same way often. Um, some probably from 
let's say the 22nd century have changed a little bit in this, but you saw this, especially in the 70s and 80s, 90s, and you could tell by how a person looked or what they wore, they were part of this cult. Maybe it was a, um, you know, I don't know, a lot of different things. Um, but you, <laughs> I go down this road of, of picking things. We're going to insult somebody here. Uh, but hey, I look that way. No, that's okay. Um, you're doing it because you wish to, not because you are commanded to. But certain strict appearances, because you're part, I'm controlling you if I'm the leader to do this and to look this way. Uh, what we call cognitive dis- dissonance, or you might think of the colloquial brainwashing. So it's all about control, bringing people into the group so that they will not leave. You have a willing servant of the group. And so you have this cognitive dissonance, um, the avoidance of critical thinking, um, or maintaining illogical beliefs, regardless of how out of, uh, out of the realm of normal they might be. Um, and so they use this. They use groupthink, um, maintained by the observance of policies handed down from those in authority. There's an internal enforcement by members who are rewarded by proper behavior and who tell on those who do not think the right way. And so they are, the, the control is very deep. If you've ever had a family member who've been in, who's been in a cult, um, it's, it's difficult. We'll talk a little bit at the end. But it's very difficult to, to rescue them out of that. Because of these things, these, these things of control that keeps them bound to this group. What else? Um, so who is vulnerable to joining a group? Because we sit back and say, well, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I don't want to go somewhere I, where I'm controlled, but they don't start with control. They start with very good things, nice things. So who is vulnerable to this? Well, really everyone from, from any walk of life. It's interesting, as you'll see, uh, many people join a cult. And it's often, no matter the social economic level, those who are disenchanted with life. There's something wrong. Um, Maybe they're disenchanted with conventional religious establishments. Maybe they've grown up in a, a mainline religious organizational um, process, and they are disenchanted with this. It doesn't connect with them, so they go somewhere else looking for something else. And so they're very disenchanted. Um, these people are often uh, intellectually confused over religion or philosophical ideas. Um, some are even disenchanted with society as a, whole, as a whole. I want to go somewhere away that I can... Society is... You hear this. Society is so bad, so I'm going to leave it and join this group because I'll be safe in this group, controlled in that group. Um, those who are disenchanted uh, join, needy join. Um, the emotional needy, the person who needs a sense of purpose... Often these charismatic leaders are very good at giving a sense of purpose that really, um, really fills out their bottom line on the, uh, the balance sheet. And they're very good at giving a sense of purpose. It's not a sense of purpose from, from, the, from Scripture, but a sense of their own purpose. Uh, so they, they feel the needs of the emotional needy or financial needy. They'll often prey on those if they need laborers. They'll... they'll They'll prey on those who are financially needy. 
and who need money, so I'll, we'll give you a place to belong. We'll give you food and shelter just to work for us. So how do they recruit with this? How is it they come and recruit? Well, uh, the recruitment techniques vary, but um, here are the major ones. They're going to fill a need. They, they will find a need and fill the need for this person in their life. Um, one of the ways they do is, is love bombing, they call it. It's constant positive affection and word and deed. Uh, often there's a lot of physical contact, like hugging and patting on backs and touching, and the cult members will will lend emotional support to someone who is in need and help them in various needs, whatever is needed. Uh, so they'll help emotionally, financially. Now it's interesting because there are some of these things that um, you would say, well, that's what a believer, a follower of Christ should be doing. But the believer, a follower of Christ, Christ is doing this, so you introduce that person to Jesus, not to a cult member or to get a group. Not that we can give back or have someone work for us and and do this grunt labor or whatever it may be. And so they use this as a ploy to not show the love of Christ, but show the love of others so they will pull and entice people into a group. Um, really giving a lot of attention. Um, and giving attention really is, is something that for those who are who maybe have not had attention from family, home life, never really been cared for in a family, they appreciate that, and so they use that to manipulate, to recruit people. Uh, they co-opt Jesus and the Bible to lend validity to their teaching. So a little bit of truth, lots of air mixed in, and they will, they will entice and pull in. So you talk, as we did um, last week, LDS, and so you have to define your terms as if you're talking to a a member of a cult. You have, to, you have to figure out what they mean by Jesus. Is he God? Oh no, he's just and they, some lesser person, they might say. But they co-opt the words, they co-opt the language, and they co-opt often the piety of, of Scripture. And they use the recruitment technique also of gradualism. So it's not like, man, let's just hit them all at once. Let's slowly entice them into the group, they would say. And so it is a, a long process, often, um, of enticing and pulling them in, using all of these techniques so that they um, really pull in the weak or the, those who need some care. So why would someone join a cult? Why would someone jo- join a cult? And it really comes down to that, cultic, that, that group is satisfying some need in their heart. Satisfying a need often is a, a psychological need. Um, and if, if, if the person is um, weak psychologically, um, a weak personality, they're easy to lead, they want someone to lead them, and this person takes advantage of them. Emotionally, um, they will prey on those who who emotionally need help. Maybe they've suffered a, a, an emotional trauma recently. And so a, a member of a cult will come in at that time and, and by their care, entice them in. And so the, there's all, all, all of a sudden a sense of longing, of belonging to, to, a, belonging to a group. 
And so they feel that longing need. They belong to the group, and that group takes care of them. Um, often, it satisfies a need intellectually, which it's kind of, that doesn't sound right. But if someone has questions, and you're answering those questions, we might say incorrectly, an orthodox manner means, but answering the questions, it, it often appeals to someone who has a need. And so to give approval, those are great questions. You know, you really hit to the heart of the matter, and this is what we found in my new teaching, and so this is what's right, and you're almost there. You, you sir, you, ma'am, are so smart. You intuitively knew what God spoke to me and told me. And so they use this, they're satisfying a need. Sometimes People have a need to be intellectually um, validated. I am smart. I am good. And so they feed that need for that. You know, cult is appealing for some reason. It could be someone is, is desiring moral rigidity and purity. Or maybe they're, they're desiring financial security. Or maybe they, they have a need and they're promised exaltation or redemption uh, or some higher consequence, some higher plane to be a god of their own world one day in some way. And so they fill a need. Fill a need. So they join the cult. They become a part of this and they're controlled. So how do they keep people in the cult? Oh, sorry, wasn't done. Approval. Yes, sorry. Two more things. Approval and various other needs that I skipped overhead. But how do they keep people in the cult? Well, they create a a culture of dependence. To keep someone in the cult, you have to make it so that they are dependent upon you. And so this leader will uh, use that uh, to, to say, you need me to survive in this cruel, terrible world. You need me, follow me. You've got to stay in the group. Isolation. So they're kept in the cult by one of the, th- the techniques they use, as we saw earlier, but they isolate from the world. So they isolate. Um, they again use the cognitive dissonance, the brainwashing, to keep them there. And they use substitution, uh, it, meaning that the cult leaders and the cult members begin to take the place of mother and father, of um, even husband or wife, and the cult members takes on the characteristics of a dependent child. So they're dependent upon these people. And so the cult leaders, cult members, are a substitution for a family. So they draw in. And if you look at it, it's, it's a, wow, this is, what, what a way to live. Um, and this, the, the pure, I don't know, evil of, holding someone, isolating them, keeping them from, from all, all of the world or the family that they might have to keep them in this cult. Substitution. Um, indebtedness. So if you've given everything you have to the cult, you're not going to easily escape from the cult. Guilt. They guilt them into staying. Okay? They guilt them into staying. The person is, is told that if they leave... They will betray God, but, but, and this is even more importantly, they'll betray the leader. And so they guilt, they're guilted into staying. 
um, to leave, they're told, means to reject the love of the, the leader and reject the love of the members around them. Um, don't leave. And then often you see um, the threat uh, keeps them, the threat of, sometimes it's not only, it's not um, physical threats. Now, off, there, there are occasions where it's a physical threat of leaving. They're threatened if you leave, harm will come to you. But sometimes it's the threat of destruction by God or the threat of missing the apocalypse or missing the, the, uh, the thing that they want to experience, nirvana or whatever. If you leave, the threat is you will, you will miss that. You won't be a part of this great judgment day that we'll be able to see. And so this is what cults will do. And I'm giving you kind of the high-level overview and each one will do it in their own certain way, and often it it's be, uh, will be dictated by the leader and the upper management, I guess would say, or the, uh, the, the clergy, in a sense, of the group and how they manipulate. But what do we know from Scripture? Because as we've talked often, as we study the different world religions and also now the cults, we must keep coming back to what the Scripture says. What does Scripture say? And the verse that I've shared with you over and over, and I want you to almost have it memorized, if you do not have it already, is Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Picking it up, and obviously verse 6 talks about, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you have left the gospel. I'm amazed you have left this so soon. But he says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And then he repeats that again. Uh, if I said before, and so we understand what Paul is saying here, that a different gospel is not a true gospel. This, the one who brings you a different gospel is accursed. He is wrong. He is in opposition to God. So how do we, how do we defend ourselves, but also those we love, the family, from cults? Well, do not, number one, blindly follow others' teaching or visions. Test. 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 Do not blindly follow others' teachings. Just because someone you like says something from a pulpit or a podium or a chair on YouTube doesn't mean it's true. Test. The passage we'll get to, we'll cover a little bit here, but First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe, have faith. And notice this is an imperative. Do not believe every spirit, but test. Test or try, scrutinize, analyze. And this also is an imperative, is a command. Don't believe every spirit, but scrutinize carefully the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do we test? How do we test what leaders say? Because they will say that we're here to guide you in spiritual formation. But you and I know that the only true test of whether one is right or wrong is the Scripture. And the ultimate test is the Word of God. But what about my visions, you say? Well, it could be just a, too much pepperoni pizza before you went to bed the night before. But if you notice these, these cults, a person's had a vision from God or an angel, or the voice of God spoke to them. 
And here we must be very firm and dogmatic. The ultimate test is God's word. It's not someone's feeling, their vision, or a fuzzy interpretation about the word of God. It must be the word of God. It must be. My defense of whether a cult is wrong or right is not, well, you know, I think this. It's, here's the chapter, here's the verse. We must be willing to to do the homework. And you may have a a friend or co-worker, a neighbor, maybe involved in one of these cults, um, whether mainstream cults, we'd say like Jehovah's Witness or LDS, or maybe it's more narrow. Um, How are you going to answer other than the Word of God? That is the only source or resource that we have. The Word of God. We must always go there. Someone brings a word of prophecy to you. Have you heard that? A word of prophecy or a word of faith or sometimes a word of healing? Well, Deuteronomy talks about the, the prophets who, who are to be examined for their prophetic gifts, whether they are true or not. And the Word of God is the test. Um, Let's see if I could tell the story without... Some of you heard it. Um, I don't think anybody will know any, any of these people. We were, in fi- we were in Five Guys at Cherrydale. That's when it was. A number of... Three or four years ago. And um, in case you haven't noticed, I have a birthmark on my, <laughs> my right temple. Uh, and uh, I'm eating, and, I, and a couple walks in. I think they have the children with them. And we actually knew... Uh, parents, we'll put it that way. And we kind of recognize them. And then um, another couple walks in. They order, he goes to the car, and this lady um, sits down at a table waiting for the order. You know, you wait, wait there at Five Dice. And so she kept looking over at me. I thought, well, maybe she knows me, you know, <laughs> from the post office wall. No, maybe she knows me. And uh, so... She's about to get her order, but she walks over to me and says, uh, tell me the, the words, this effect, that God told me that I should pray over you so that your birthmark will be healed. I said, well, you know, I've had it 40-something years at that time. Um, it's okay, you know. Oh, no, we should, the Bible says we should not have any illness, and that illness is, is is the curse of the devil, and I'm here to pray over you and heal you. And do you mind if I pray? I said, ma'am, um, I'm okay with it. But no, you shouldn't have that. I said, well, you can pray. Well, I'm going to pray for you. And she prayed for me there. He's still there, Rance. Um, she probably would say it was my faith that was uh, lacking, not hers. But you know what? Does God heal? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it God's will that everyone is healed? No. We looked at the passage this morning, our scripture reading in John 9. That man had blindness, not because of his parents' sin or his sin, so that God, Jesus, would be glorified. Well, what about others that were blind in Jesus' day? Did Jesus not care for them? Did he not? I mean, 
did he have some special thing for this one and not another? Did not God, and I've heard this, God healed everyone in his day. Okay. I don't find that in scripture. And so that seemed harmless, a word of healing, but what about a word of prophecy? Okay. I'm going to prophesy that this is going to come true in your life. Scripture. Scripture. Does God give prophecy? Does he give prophets in our time? Ah, there's a good question, huh? Well, prophecy is only the fourth telling of the gospel. Well, Acts speaks of prophets. There's even prophets in the last day. You know, there's a very strict, if you go back to Deuteronomy, there's a very strict, very strict guideline. And as Paul says in Corinthians... You know, some things will be done away with. So what you're seeing is the word of faith, the word of prophecy, the word of healing is associated with what we used to call the ministries that will be akin to the prosperity gospel. Those people will come and say, because of Jesus, everything is going to be better in your life. All your troubles will go away. They never read Hebrews 11. They never read Revelation. They never read of the Old Testament and the New Testament of saints who have suffered great pain. But they will tell them, and, and if you are ungrounded in Scripture, if an individual is ungrounded in Scripture, boy, I want all my troubles to go away. I want to be healed from everything. I want prosperity because... Because I deserve it. And by George, I'm good and I'm nice. And you'll listen to the Joels of the world and the Kens and the, all the others of the world um, who say, you're supposed to be prosperous. You know, and they will say also that because of, because of their ministry, because of your support of their ministry, often is the next step. You will receive great things because you give to them. You will receive all of your questions answered. And so, I can give you a word of prophecy that's radical and true. And I will say to you that anyone who claims to know another way of salvation other than Jesus is a false teacher. Is that a prophecy? No, that's actually a retelling of First John many passages in Scripture. It's not new. Cults are not new. We're going to get into First John in our morning series, and we'll see the early strains of Gnosticism and how they looked at Jesus and started perverting uh, who Jesus was. Cults are not new. Followers of cults are not new. And you and I have the responsibility to know and to lovingly engage those who are trying to deceive us or trying to deceive our family members or friends or coworkers, and speak to them. And so we test it. We test it. By this, you'll know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard is coming is not already in the world. 
1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Their treatment of Christ as God, their treatment of the Holy Scripture as preeminent, the Word of God. You know, um, First John 2.22, who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Messiah? Whoever denies his son does not have a father. Who confesses the son has the father also. Um, you and I need to guard our hearts. Um, you know that many of the Jehovah's Witnesses are converted, quote-unquote, Baptists. Many Jehovah's Witnesses, if you ask, ask them, um, some came from an irreligious or no religious, but many come from Baptist. The door knocking does work, I suppose. Um, so I was in my doctor's office uh, getting the physical, and uh, the nurse was in there taking the vital signs and asked me what I did. So I had an opportunity to share with her. She, oh, that's great. Um, her husband had pastored in the past, and so we were talking, and uh, I'm not sure how it came up. Maybe she asked me what I was preaching on lately. She's a believer, and she said, so have you heard about the International House of Prayer? Yes, my mind went there also. I hop. Um, sorry. <laughs> and um, she said, even in this area, even in this area, there have been growth starting. In fact, one of the, not, uh, one of the Christian schools in the area had a a chapter spring up, and uh, she actually went to them and said, uh, you don't know what this is, do you? No. They purported it as 24-hour prayer and worship, so they worship God, but it started by a man named Mike Bickle. And he said, God told him in a message, remember, it's a vision from God, it's a word from God, that he would start the International, International House of Prayer. Um, Mike Bickle says it is the church that will bring on the great tribulation. He says, but what I mean is, it's the church, it's the praying church under Jesus' leadership that is loosing the judgment in the great tribulation the way Moses stretched forth his rod and prayed and loosed the judgment upon Pharaoh. The church in the tribulation is in the position that Moses was before Pharaoh. It won't be Pharaoh in Egypt. It will be the great end time Pharaoh called the Antichrist. And so he has developed... Um, um, what he calls an elite end times force to defeat God's enemies. And Jesus will be held in heavens until he builds this group. And so they'll come and they'll worship and song and they'll pray all night. And you can go to the website and you can watch them. They go all the time. I checked last night about 12 o'clock and there was three people sitting and one poor girl alone on the stage. Well, no, she had a guitar behind her somewhere singing. And I'm thinking, um, I bet she's pretty tired. She's been doing this a while. There's no one there listening to her. But the movement is growing really fast because it appeals to those who, who want to be spiritual. Um, it, it, it uses the power of emotionalism, of mysticism, and Gnosticism. Um, the major draw for IHOP is experience. <laughs> Not pancakes. Uh, is the experience of experiencing God. I worship it until I sing, until I experience God. In fact, um, 
that experience is almost an emotional high uh, that, they, that they receive. And so uh, this is taken down from the website, but it's, you can't take anything down from the web. People archive it, <clears throat> just so you'll know. Um, one technique they suggest um, of contemplative or centering prayer is this. They said, and I quote, we call this beholding the spirit within. The goal is to search for and feel God's presence inside you, not necessarily to gain more understanding in God's word as with the, the first two methods. Begin by gently praying a short passage of scripture in silence while focusing on the indwelling spirit. The scriptures used to quiet the clamoring of your soul and draw you to God it is the connection point. This is de- defined as the practice of relaxing Emptying the mind and letting oneself find the presence of God. In fact, they had an article entitled Contemplative Prayer on this website that further went into it that was also taken down. Um, So once you feel God's presence, you concentrate on that presence. And you will notice his presence. And um, the outward senses are quieted. And your surface thoughts are gone. You begin to consumed by the Spirit. Silently ask the Spirit to show you a vision. Or slowly, silently say to Him, I love you, I love you, I love you. And here's this, the side of Gnosticism, is just this higher knowledge, or this, this experiential knowledge. And so you don't get it because you haven't experienced, but we have experienced it. We are in no way called in scripture to empty the mind and to commune or to uh, in such a way by a mantra repeating a prayer to sense the presence of God so that we might have an experience we sense the presence of God often but it's not there so that we have an experience that we feel good and feel somehow better than everybody else because we have an experience God moves in our heart through his word. Through his word. We find how to live. We are directed how to live through his word, not by an experience, not by a vision or an angel. If you have a vision or an angel, or you have a vision or a dream, and and understand, there's some interesting things going on in pagan lands, and people will see a vision of Christ, but that vision of Christ never saves them. Talking to a Muslim man, uh, a converted um, I actually talked to a man converted from, from uh, Hinduism. I saw a vision of Jesus, and I knew at that point, if I didn't get on my knees when I woke up and receive Christ as my Savior, but what the gospel says, I would be lost. He did not see a vision of Jesus calling him to a higher plane of living or some new gospel. See, everything must, for us, everything must be routed through the lens of God's word. Okay? You and I are not the arbiters of how we do our religion. Okay? There are verses. Of a, scripture is not of a private interpretation. We use scripture upon scripture to layer our thoughts and minds about who God is, what he is doing in this world, and how we are to live for him and unto him, and him to live through us. See, the strongest thing against uh, cult spreading in our world are Christians who are devoted to the Word of God 
and devoted to the passion and zeal of Christ, his mission on earth to give the gospel. So you and I can, by God's grace, can be light to one who is in darkness. He will be able to use what we study in his word to give them hope and light. And that is, that is our mission. Remember, we're on a mission of reconciliation. Just as Christ reconciled us to God, we are now bringing men and women, boys and girls to Christ that they may receive salvation. And so it, is, it behooves us to know what we're up against and cults and those who would pervert the gospel of Christ. So we are to be forewarned but also forearmed. We have the skill of God's word. So take this. Um, Walter Martin's book, I had it here somewhere. Um, if you want a good reading, a good nighttime reading for a long time. Um, there are other online, um, uh, I don't endorse everything they do, but CARM.org. Um, they have uh, a lot of kind of common layman's understanding of, um, of the different cults. So. It is our mission take the good news of Jesus Christ to them. Let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, I pray that um, what we have here tonight would give us the tools to be able to answer those who ask for the reason of hope that is within us. But more than just, just tools, I pray that we would take them with us. May they not sit on the shelf as often they do, and may they um, become used tools of love and witness and grace. And may we, as those who know Jesus as our personal Savior, who have been saved and purchased by His blood, may we spread the joy of who Christ is. Thank you for your word. Oh God, what, what a privilege we have to have your word with us. May we find comfort and strength in it. And may we find within it the strength and the wherewithal to live in such a way that glorifies you and it is true to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.